0: 1 and 2, Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. For His name. We've been looking at that issue coming out of verse one about separated unto the gospel of God. And we're not done with that issue, but we're going to bring in verse two as well here a little bit th- this morning. Uh, there, there is so much going on in these verses that <coughs> I don't to I don't want to be just cavalier with it or not flipping in a bad winter. I want to spend some time here. Because this is a foundational book. When we talked last time about the Gospels, there's like 10 or 15 of them. Depends on how you look at them, depends on how you count them. You have the Gospel of God, okay? We looked last time there in verse 16, the Gospel of Christ. There's the Gospel of the grace of God. Then there's the Gospel of the circumcision, the Gospel of the uncircumcision. Then I mentioned the thing about the gospel of the kingdom. These six gospels, we're going to look this, next week at a little more indefinitely. The Apostle Paul is going to have something to say about all six of those in the book of Romans. And we're going to look, I just want to point them to you. <coughs> Obviously, he doesn't talk a lot about the gospel of the kingdom, does he? Because that's Israel's, but, what, <coughs> but in Romans 9, 10, and 11, guess what he does? He'll talk about pieces of it and some things in it. Okay? So I, we're gonna do that next week. This morning I kind of wanna wrap up some of this stuff on the gospel of the great of, of the gospel of God. So the the guys are work were working yesterday on on the stuff and they're trying to get the clicking out. It's in the speakers. Okay? So don't worry. Just yeah, there's not a squirrel up there. The roof isn't falling in. We're not under surveillance. Nothing of that. No, no. There, the I didn't even hear it until you said it. So, because um, I, I hear myself. Did you hear it? Nobody's hearing aids are going off. Yeah, it's a. It sounds like a timer. Okay. Well, I'll see you in glory all right yeah <laughs> that'll be okay all right it's still going okay well the guys are working on it we've been trying to figure out actually probably need to get greg over here to help ricky but we'll figure we're trying to figure out what's going on you know on the on the youtube it's so low sometimes sometimes it's not and so we're trying to figure all that out in, in the streaming and everything so no, that's not a timer. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. All right, verse 1 here. Uh, again, <clears throat> we, we kind of talked last time about the gospel of God, and, and that word gospel is, is not uh, restricted to just one body of information. And we have to recognize that there are actually di- many different gospels, good newses, in Scripture. Not just one, which everybody says, and actually I put six of them up here on the board. I've got another five or six in another list. You know, I gave you ten. You know, the Gospel of Peace, the Everlasting Gospel, the Gospel of of uh, Jesus Christ. You've got all these different gospels. So the key in it, the five of these gospels, Paul's going to address directly in some detail. The sixth one he's going to just mention, not in a a major manner, just little details in it. So I think we need to be kind of aware of it as we're starting the book of Romans because this information is going to come back to us as we go along. In verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures. Paul is again here saying, by the way, the key in all of the gospel talk is the context and the content. So when we talk about the context and the content, that's what's going to define the word for us. That's what's going to come along and look at it and say, here's what it is. He was separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says, I'm the disqualified apostle. I've been separated to the gospel of God, and the gospel of God is concerning his Son. And, verse 4, Declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So the gospel of God has to do with some prophesied information about a person. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also has connected to it the issue about the resurrection. Now we all know that... The resurrection of Christ has been prophesied since day one. It's been talked about all through the Old Testament. Paul's not saying the the cross work is a mystery doctrine. He's not saying the resurrection is a mystery doctrine. See, what usually happens in verse 2 with the bringing in of the prophets, everybody has a cow, literally. Oh, look, Paul's got to... He's talking about the holy prophets and he's talking... So he's got to be talking about the prophetic program. He's got to be bringing it over just like everybody. He's got to be preaching the same message as... And you know what? That's just blowing out your ears. You're not, you don't know what you're talking about, quite honestly. Because the passage is talking about, verse 2, some information that God provided about his son, a certain individual and the resurrection that's connected to it. And that's really what's going on here. The prophets are going to talk about his son and then specifically about his resurrection. And again, the doctrine of resurrection is not a mystery doctrine. It never has been. It's always been talked about. And by the way, it is actually the hope of Israel when you get in and look at it and study it out. So the fact that there's some good news about God sending a Redeemer, sending a King, sending a Deliverer, sending a Savior. That's great news, and what Paul is doing here is he's saying, I'm talking about the same guy. And the information that I'm going to be talking to you about is going to be concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and specifically about his resurrection. Because, guys, I'm the last guy to see him on the road to Damascus, and I saw the risen, ascended, seated at the right hand of God, the Father, son, rejected son, I saw him. Remember, we looked at that when we looked at the disqualified apostle. 1 Corinthians 15, last of all, seen of me, one born out of due time, that untimely birth. He says, see, guys, I'm the one. So, in other words, Paul's not Paul's not saying, I'm not talking about anybody new. We're just going to put a new light on some, some information here as he gets into it. You see, folks, our faith... Look, look at verse 5. By whom, we, by whom we have received grace and... What? Apostleship. You see, our faith begins the empty tomb. That's where our faith begins. We need a risen Savior... We don't just need somebody to die for us. We need him to do what? Be, re- be, re- be alive, be resurrected. So then the question comes up, and I got the question in an email this week. What about the gospel of God when it is used by Peter in 1 Peter 4? So let's go over there. Go to 1 Peter 4. Because if the gospel of God is a generic term, and it is because the content and the context is going to tell us what it's about and who it's talking to and dealing with, then is Peter, when Peter uses it, is he talking about the same thing as Paul and vice versa? So I want to just answer that question for us this morning and look at a few other things and then call it a morning. But 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? See that? There it is. Now, let's notice the verse. For the time has come that judgment must begin. Judgment, does that sound like a good thing? Does that sound like a wonderful thing? No, he's talking to a group of people that are in the 70th week of Daniel they in the tribulation. Judgment must begin with who? Us. It's going to start with us. Well, who's the us? That's the question, right? So what's Peter talking about here? Come back over with me to chapter 1. And who is he talking about, really? You, you know, if I told you we're going to have a Christmas parade on Main Street, that's a generic term, thing, isn't it? Which main street and what city? Because every city has a main street. Right? That's the gospel of God. That's the idea there. It's very it's a generic term. It gets applied. The good news of God. Now, come over to 1 Peter 1. Notice some things here. And and again, the question is a legitimate question about which gospel. (laughs) It really is. Which one? Is Peter saying the same thing as Paul? And he's really, he's not, but he also is. And you'll see that as we look at it here. And and as far as there is a common denominator between the two. Look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Well, who are the strangers scattered throughout? Well, that's going to be the believing remnant. This is, an act, this is after Acts 8. If you go over and look at Acts 8, verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Acts 8, verse number 1. Hold on to 1 Peter. Acts 8, verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles so every all the believing remnant all the members of the little flock all the members of the true Israel of God took off <laughs> they're running for their lives under the persecution of Saul okay so 1 Peter 1 tells you that where did they run to well they run to Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia You notice, by the way, there's one, two, three, four, there's five names listed there. How many churches in the book of the Revelation, the first couple chapters? Seven churches. Asia's got a couple churches in it. Those are representative churches for everybody. So here they are, they're running under the persecution. So the target audience of Peter is who? The little flock, the believing remnant. Okay? That's who the target audience is. Peter's not talking to the nation as a whole. He's talking to the believers. Now, watch verse 2. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy... Now watch hath begotten us again unto a lively what hope how by the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead notice that what peter's going to tell him in chapter 4 about the end that that obey not the gospel of god part of the gospel of god for the believing remnant is a lively hope by the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead Resurrection becomes, becomes the common denominator now. When you talk about the gospel of God, the common denominator becomes the issue about Christ being what? Raised from the dead. Does Israel need her Messiah to be raised from the dead? Yes, the prophets have been talking about it. That's what's going to happen. We looked last time at Luke 18. The Lord goes in and tells them, hey, I'm going to have to die in three days. I'll rise again. They didn't believe him. They didn't get it. But there it is. Keep reading. So, first of all, you've got a target audience of the little flock, okay? Paul says, secondly, Paul says concerning the gospel of God is concerning his son and his resurrection. Peter says, we're going to talk about the same individual and we're going to talk about the resurrection from the dead. See how those common denominators sit there? Now, Paul's talking to who? Us, Peter's talking to the believing remnant. That That's the difference. Now watch verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the... Last times. Now, the third issue here is now we have a key setting point, don't we, in the context. The key setting is when, where is this going to happen? In the last times. This is going to happen out over there in the tribulation. See, it's not happening today, it's happening in the future. By the way, you'll see that through faith unto salvation, ready... See, what did he tell them in Matthew? Those who endure to the end shall be what? you got to make it through that tribulation, guys. you got to work down through there and get there. you got to stay the course. Verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well, there's the second coming, the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's the tribulation. There's what's going on with these folks. You see what Peter's talking about? He's not talking about anything Paul's talking about. The common denominator is what? Christ and the resurrection. That's the common denominator. Verse 8. "...whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." Boy, that helps you understand the doubting Thomas seen in John 20. When he looks at Thomas and he says, "...you're representing a group that will never see me, but yet will believe." There they are. Here they are. "...receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls." Well, watch verse 10, of which salvation, the who. Isn't it interesting? What did Paul say in verse 2? The holy prophets have been talking about this. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who professed of the grace that should come unto you. Peter's talking about a prophesied grace, all consistent with what has been spoken since the world began. Paul says, I'm going to talk to you now about an obedience to the faith of all nations, something that's been kept secret since before the world began. Peter here is talking about the new covenant provisions that are going to be given to the believing remnant, the little flock, because they believe the gospel, the good news of God, regarding the prophesied kingdom. Now come on back over to chapter 4. So Peter's audience is believing remnant. He's talking about the last times. And the common denominator is who? Christ and the resurrection. Do you see how they're they're similar, but they're yet different? No? Yes? Okay. (laughs) Strike one. I'm not holding your attention. (laughs) Look in chapter 4. Look at verse 12. Maybe this will help. Beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their behalf he is evil spoken of, but on your behalf, on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Notice the context there. Because verse 17, what does he say? For the time has come. What time? The judgment time, the time of the tribulation, the the last time. You guys are going to go through all of this turmoil, all of this trial, all of this fiery mess. Some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to be in prison. Some of you are going to be beheaded. All of this is going to happen. It's got to start with us jeremiah and isaiah the house of israel it starts with israel first and then goes to the gentiles when he pours out his wrath it's got to start with us and it's going to be poured out on verse 17 what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of god isn't that interesting peter says look guys we're, we're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that He was resurrected. He's coming back to establish His throne, His kingdom, to sit on His throne. And you know what? What's going to happen to those guys that don't believe that message? But He flies it not under the, the moniker of the gospel of the kingdom, but under the moniker of the gospel of God. Why? Because who are they believing in, chapter one? a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you look there at verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Notice the question. See, Peter's driving home some issues here for that believing remnant, not to look around and say, well, they're not getting it. (laughs) We're taking it in the neck over here. They're not. What's going on? Why am I suffering and he's not? Because who's gonna? what's going to happen in the end? You're going to get that kingdom blessing, and they're not. They're going to get the lake of fire. Wherefore, notice verse 19, Let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful, wow, look at that, creator. See how Peter just pulls right the issue of creation into it and the creator? Israel, remember the Sabbath day. Remember why you were created. Take a day off. Stop. Think about why you were created. Why did he create creation and create you, Israel? Your home's the earth. This is yours. He gave it to you guys. You're the kingdom people. You're the royal priesthood. You're it. Peter's looking at them saying, listen, guys. The guys that don't believe the gospel of God, that don't believe that Christ was who he said he was, the seed of David, the Messiah, and the fact that they don't believe that he was resurrected, they're going to get it in the end. You guys need to commit to the keeping of your souls to him. He'll get it done. So Peter's talking to that little flock, the circumcision. A very specific group of people. And he says, guys, we know something about the Lord. He was, di- he was died, he was buried, and he rose again. Some of you guys are going to die, you're going to get tortured. But you know what our hope is? To be resurrected into the kingdom. That's that thing there about keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful. He's going to do what he said he was going to do, and he'll get you in there. So the common denominator, come back over with me to Acts 13. So, Peter, the common denominator between Paul and Peter, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, if you will, is just simply that it involves the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That's it. Because Peter goes off on all that tribulation stuff, Paul's going to come over here now and talk about to the obedience of all the nations and so forth. Something different. Do you follow that? Hopefully that answered whoever asked me that question. They were on the internet, so they'll get it eventually. Maybe. I don't know. So, the gospel of God. Look, look in Acts 13. We, we were here last time and we kind of stopped, and then because the hour was up, I want to go back here, catch a couple things, and then just so that you see the issue here is about the issue of this issue of the resurrection. Because what Paul's going to do in Romans as he begins to lay in the foundation of that first pillar of justification, the thing that he's laying in here now about the gospel of God and the gospel of Christ that's going to come in verse 9 and verse 16, he's going to come in and he's going to say, hey, if he doesn't resurrect, if he isn't risen, we're in trouble. But the prophets from Genesis 3 have been talking about him resurrecting. I'm talking about the same guy. I'm just going to give you some secret information that pertains to those events. Okay? Acts 13. The Apostle Paul stands, and his first really recorded message, if you will, in Scripture. That's why you have such people that say that 13 is really where Paul began his ministry. But to say that, 9 comes before 13. To say that, then you discount all the churches in Galatia that he's already been talking to <laughs> and now you're going to have some trouble how do you answer those guys because when he comes here in 13 and he goes to leave out of Antioch and he goes out on his first apostolic journey he, he's already been at the ministry work for quite a while he's not just a new kid on the block so he stands and he gives a, a, um, a recount of Israel's history by the way he if you look there in verse 16 Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand and said, Men of who? Men of Israel. And ye that fear God. There's the Gentiles. Give audience. We're going to find as we go into Romans that he went to the Jew first and then to the Greeks. And there's a reason for that and we'll get into it when we get there. He does the same thing here. He stands to the Jew first and he recounts the history. And when he gets down to verse 32, here's the connection with Romans 1, verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings, good news, gospel, here it is, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers. You see, there, there's some good news about a promise that was made. Now, if you hold on to here and just look real quick at Romans 1, You'll see a connection here that Paul is is bringing into the picture. Uh, Romans 1, verse number 2. What does it say? Which he had, what? Promised. Paul says, I got some good news and some glad tidings about a promise that was made. And it's in connection to the gospel of God, by the way. Now go back to Acts 13:32 which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he hath what raised up Jesus again as it is written in the second psalm thou art my son this day i have begotten thee and as concerning that he raised him from the dead now now no more to return to corruption He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. In verse 32, 33, and 34, those are the connections to Romans 1 regarding the gospel of God and regarding a promise of resurrection. Sorry, I choked on my own saliva. (laughs) Isn't that nice to know? TMI, TMI, TMI. (laughs) Too much, too much. Okay. The connection here. He says, look guys, he's talking to the group. He said, there was a promise made back here. And that promise made to the fathers, the prophets have been talking about it. And that's concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and... His resurrection. Do you see how Paul's stressing the resurrection? Because if he he isn't resurrected, what are we doing? Let's go home. We'll sell the building. Split the profit. Let's get out of here. Let's go back to doing whatever we were doing before. No? Okay. (laughs) All right. No, you see, folks, how things are here. By the way, go back to Acts 13. You can let Romans 1 lay for a minute. Notice when he says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. At the end of verse 33, that's Psalms 2. The day that the Lord walked out of the tomb, you know what the Father said? That's my son. We have a similar situation at the baptism of John when the dove descends down, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't make that declaration. He makes this declaration, this day have I begotten thee, when he walked out of the tomb. That's why this is so important. Here's the good news. Folks, God promised a Savior, a Redeemer, and he was going to resurrect him. And what Paul's saying is, is I'm preaching the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the one God promised in the prophet script, prophetic scriptures back there to raise him from the dead. I'm preaching the same guy now. So the, sub, the, 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 the focus of the message hasn't changed. What does he say in Romans 16, 25? And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to, right? We're still preaching Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He died, he was buried, and he rose again. For the sins of everybody now, back here, a little different in Israel's program. Come back to chapter 2. Just remember this. Hold on to 13, Acts 2. And and the reason I'm kind of belaboring the point with you is is because this is going to come up as we go through the book of Romans. In the court case, when he begins to present the court case, he's going to rely on you to remember this. He's going to make little statements over here about the newness of life in Romans 6. That's going to draw you back here to chapter 1 and go, oh, yeah, the resur- according to the power of holiness and the resurrection of the dead. The, see, there's, a, there's, there's some little, there's some link backs. He's, again, he's laying the groundwork. He's clearing the site here in the first 17 verses of chapter 1. Getting ready to pour in the concrete. <laughs> okay? And if he's like dollar general builders, we'll be done in two weeks. (laughs) You know, it's boom, that's what he's doing, okay? Chapter 2, just remember, chapter 2, look look here at chapter 2. Look at verse, well, 27. (sighs) Well, verse 25. Psalm 16, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in, notice, hope, a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of the dead, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in heaven, uh, in, in heaven, in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance men and brethren let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch david and that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us this day we got david down in the cemetery so what we're talking about here is not david we're talking about the lord jesus christ we can go down there and dig up david's bones we can't the lord he's not there he's risen Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to forgive the sins of the world and to have righteousness and justification through believing his blood. Not at all. He raised up Jesus Christ to do what? To sit on his throne. Boy, right division helps you, doesn't it? Helps a tremendous amount. In Israel, in the prophetic program, the resurrection has a direct impact on the fulfillment of God's purpose in establishing the kingdom on the earth because it accomplishes the fact that he's going to raise the king to sit on the throne. So resurrection has a little different tinge in the prophetic program. Because it puts the rightful king on the throne. By the way, just so you kind of think about, in Ezekiel, out there in the new heaven and the new earth, David, in the millennial kingdom, David gets resurrected to sit on the throne. Judging the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes. Just FYI. So come back to 13, Acts 13. 1330 well, thirteen thirty-seven. Thou art uh, the end of verse thirty-three. There, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Paul keeps talking here, verse thirty-six. For David, after he had served his own generations by the will of God, fell asleep, and was laid into his fathers, unto his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. David was never talking about himself. He was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever read in the Psalms and you go, Okay, David, are you talking about you, the Lord, or Israel? Who are you talking about? And you know what? He's talking about all three. Because they're all linked together. They're all in one bunch. Verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, because the one that God raised again saw no corruption... You guys have this history of killing off people and doing this and that. You killed the Messiah. He was raised. Be it known unto you therefore men and brethren that through this man, the one that Christ, that God raised again, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Isn't that fascinating? Peter said he was raised to sit on the throne. Paul says he was raised to do what? Forgive sins. Now hold on here and come back to chapter 5 of Acts. (coughs) Chapter 5. You see where he says there, And by him all that believe, and unto you are to preach the forgiveness of sins. It is wonderful that your Bible will tell you how to define terminology and look at and understand what that word all means. Look at Acts 5. You don't need a dictionary and a concordance and try to run the Greek and figure out the Hebrew and all that stuff. You can do it. It's fine. But you don't need it. Look at Acts 5. Look at verse 30. Verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Peter and the guys, they're in trouble again. (laughs) So they're called on the court, on the carpet. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Does that sound like it was a great thing that they did? No, because cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. (laughs) You guys did that. Him, verse 31, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, For to give repentance to who? Israel. And forgiveness of sins. But to who? Not all. To who? To Israel. So when you come back here to chapter 13, and Paul says, all that believe are justified. All that believe have forgiveness of sins. (laughs) So what does all mean? It means all. Israel is little, all is everybody, by the way, including Israel, because it's an all-encompassing thing. Now, back in Acts 13, look there, by the way, at verse 39, because you're talking about what got Paul in hot water. Acts uh, 13, 39, and by him all that believer justified, now watch, from all things, from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. (laughs) Whoops, is right. What's the new message say? The the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, he was born, he was made of the seed of David. By the way, doesn't Paul say something about that he was raised according to my gospel? Yeah. And forgiveness of sins now go to everyone that believe. Believe who? The Lord Jesus Christ, that he died, he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. That got him in hot water, by the way, because it's only Paul that could say that the law could never justify you. And now we got a situation over here. Apart from the law of Moses. Paul's, (laughs) there's some, he's saying some things here that aren't found anywhere in Scripture. Right here, Acts 13. These are unsearchable things here that, that, that people could be say justified apart from the law of Moses. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with love and joy and began to hug and just praise the Lord. Verse 45, I'm sorry. No, what'd they do? They got a little upset, didn't they? They began, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken of Paul, by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Oh, <laughs> they, now they're going to go try to kill Paul, aren't they? Paul's on the run from here on out. He's in trouble. <coughs> but, but why is he in trouble? Because he said the, the strength of the law is sin. The law says you're guilty, 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 guilty. You never can measure up. You can never make it. You can never do it. You've got to keep doing it, doing it, doing it. And you're going to fail. You're a failure. You're a loser. That's what the law says. God's grace comes along. By the way, the gospel of the grace of God... Well, look at that one. Comes along and says, hey, I've done everything for you. And it's a free gift, and you just simply have to trust me and believe me. And when you do that, I will give you my righteousness. And I will give you everything you need. And all the things that you tried to go over there under in your own energy to do under the law... You've already gotten now in Christ. That's why, by the way, in Romans 8, he'll say, hey, we're to to do that, the the righteousness of the law. We're to live that. We're to have that demonstrated. Not you and I. We can't do it, but his life can do it. Come over to chapter 23. The Jews, Paul's in trouble. The Jews chase him and, and, and they get him. Chapter 23, look at chapter 23, look at verse 6. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Now watch, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. Isn't that interesting? He says back there in chapter 13, what I'm going to be talking to you about, he labeled in Romans 1, the gospel of God, is I'm going to be talking to you about the resurrection of the dead. Specifically, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he on the hot seat for? Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Come on over to Chapter 24. Chapter 24. <clears throat> Chapter 24, verse 14, I think. Yeah, twenty four fourteen. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way, which they call heresy, so worshipped I the God of my fathers, believing all things which were written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God. "...which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust." Look at what Paul's pressing home. Again, he's, he's in trouble. <laughs> he's before Felix. And he says, listen, guys, the very fact that the prophets back there, the scriptures of old, talked about it being a resurrection of the dead, I, I'm, I'm right in line with the, those scriptures and they know it they're just mad because i'm going to tell you now about a guy over here that we call jesus of nazareth that he is the christ that he was buried and that he did rise again the third day that's why you'll see felix later in that chapter and his wife gets involved because she was a Jewess. And Felix started taking it at home. <laughs> so Felix kicked him to, on down to uh, Festus. Come on over to chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 20. 28, 20. <clears throat> for this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. You see that hope of Israel? What is their hope? Resurrection. That's what he's been, what he's been arguing with them in chapter 23, chapter 24, chapter, we didn't look in 26. He argues with them in 26. It's all about what? The resurrection of the dead. What was the very first thing that, Abraham's, that God promised Abraham back over here in Genesis 12? Resurrection. Eternal life. You see, folks. So when Paul, when you come back to Romans 1, we're, we'll quit. And we'll get into the list next time. I'll give you a little early break. It's Christmas. <laughs> okay. Forty minutes. That's what we're looking for, right? All right. When Paul brings this up, again, the content and the context is going to tell us this gospel of God is concerning who? His son and the fact that he was raised from the dead. Okay? And that is what we're going to, what Paul is now going to be discussing the rest of the way as he begins to lay in. Now, if you look down at verse 16... He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of who? Of Christ. We're going to get a little different there now. Okay? So these are going to begin to delineate out. And again, we're not going to jump to a conclusion. We're going to do what? We're going to look at the content, the context, and we'll look at them. In Galatians, he talks about the circumcision and the uncircumcision and lays that out. He'll talk about those guys here too as well. You ever ever read the book of Romans chapter 4? And what does he lay out about Abraham? Circumcision and uncircumcision. You better know what he's talking about. That's, it's right there. Anyway, I think I drive my point home, okay? So we got another verse under our belt. By the way, this is lesson seven, (laughs) and we got two verses done, okay? But we're going to drag our feet through the beginning here, and then we'll pick up speed as we go through. Because the beginnings are laying in the issues that he's going to be building on as we go. And when we get into the courtroom, starting in verse 18, here, actually really down in verse 15, we're going to enter the courtroom where Paul's going to begin to lay the case out as he lays in these pillars. And at the end, when he says, now you're established, now you have a permanency, a permanent godly edification in you now let's get on with living life and let's get on with the program and as we begin to do that these this information will, will be needed to be in the back of our minds okay all right Dearly father we thank you for the morning lord we thank you for the folks that come to the, the desire to listen to learn and to, and to study and to just enjoy who we are in your son and give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that amen all right any questions or anything